Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, my Holy Spirit, we thank you that your presence is with us today. But Lord, we thank you that each and every day your presence is with us. That you encourage us, that you talk to us continually, Lord. And you keep us on track. Lord knows where we would be if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us to salvation. So Lord, please anoint your speaker, anoint my heart, my tongue. And Lord, I pray that people will be given ears to hear and a heart to receive. In Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen. Right. So we've got a few technical issues, which is always the case. Always the case. You put a PA guy at the front and you get technical issues all the time. But it doesn't matter. God is in control. So forget about the whistles. Forget about the, the noise that's happening in the background. Listen to the word of God. So today, that's what I want to talk to you about. God's great gift of prayer. Using Psalm 61 as an example. And then how prayer helps us to grow in God. So the most common type of psalm in the Bible is prayers to God, which covers a wide spectrum of emotions, situations, and experiences. I think what makes these prayers so powerful are the honesty, passion, and sometimes desperation you can hear and feel in the writer's heart at the time. God hears this as well, and he responds to it. David was a man of prayer, a man who continually seeked God's will and purpose for his life, and guidance for nearly every situation he faced. But I think for me, David always shows us that the only place we really should want to be is in the presence of God. Prayer is the one way we can encourage and cultivate the presence of God. So we should be eager to engage with God in prayer. So I'm going to use Psalm 61, a prayer of David. This prayer, it seems, is set while David is in exile, either by Saul or Absalom. Something Absalom because of David's reference to a king in verse 6. He starts his prayer distressed, but by the time he ends his prayer, his soul and attitude are lifted and praising God. So, ignoring the first bit about leading me to the rock, we start from verse 1. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. David petitions for God's attention. We know through the Bible, God is always watching over us, listening to us, and waiting for us to engage with him. David called to God from wherever he was. We also can call to God wherever we are. As we have the Holy Spirit within us, we don't have to wait till we get to church to talk to God. Verse 2. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David showed no matter how dire his situation or however he was feeling, he will always call God in his time of need. God is the only place he will turn or even want to turn to. He acknowledges with thanksgiving and exultation as he approaches before God. He is being led to a place much greater than himself, maybe in some way beyond his grasp, if not for the Lord's invitation and means to bring him there. This rock is Jesus, And he is the one who takes us to a higher place. Verse 3. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. David acknowledges that God has been his refuge, a place he can come to to find peace and rest from the tribulations of life far beyond his foes and troubles. He trusts God's protection as he has never failed him or let him down. He has complete confidence in God. Verse 4, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. David just wants to remain in the presence of God. To be truthful, that's all we would want to do as well. He is also conscious that God is eternal. Being in his presence is not for a season or a short period, but it's for life, both in this mortal frame and beyond when we go back home to him. We now live in Jesus, who is our eternal refuge, with the covenant of grace. As God's children, we can ask for his protection. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. David confirms he has made vows to God. Vows were not taken lightly and needed to be strictly adhered to. David is showing his seriousness to follow and obey God. 
but he also shows the reward of this, the inheritance that believers receive when they follow, fear, or revere, and have awe of our almighty God. We receive his son Jesus as our reward. Verses 6 and 7. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So David in the first five verses acknowledges the greatness and joy of knowing God and he now asks God for blessing on his life. Now that is pretty good. Five verses in to his psalm and now he's only now asking God for something. I mean, how many times I know I've just blurted straight to God, God, I need, just like a child at their parents. But David's he's more mature. He understands. Like like most of us when we're kids and you're trying to butter up your parents, you know, you do the washing up, you do the hoovering, clean your room. And then you go and ask the question, Dad, can I? David understands. The reason he's take, talking in the third person is that once he has written the psalm, he would pass it on to his people to sing and they would sing about him. David is king. But maybe David is also showing a parallel of the coming saviour, our Lord Jesus, who would fulfil all these words and more when he defeated death and sin upon the cross once and for all. Verse 8. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. As with any prayer or worship to God, we should end in praise that God is good in everything. We don't need an excuse to praise. We should just do it because God enjoys our praises. He seeks people who will worship him in spirit and truth, and he will inhabit the praises of his people. So if we want more of God's presence, we need to praise all the more of his goodness to us and his people. This also applies to us as children of God. So if we can find something to praise about in our lives, in our families, in our work, in our work colleagues, in our employer, in Jesus' name, I believe we can cultivate and encourage more of his presence in our lives and the lives around us, even in the workings and the leadership of our town and our nation. Now, as I say, we've got to look for the good in a situation. Yeah? If, you want, if you're looking for bad in a situation, you're going to find bad. But if you're looking for good, you'll find good. Even though that person might not be expressing good to you. So, in the work context, there will be days where your employer is getting on your nerves. There will be days when your work colleague is dumping lots of work on you and you don't need it right now. But see God in it. See God in it. God has dropped me many times in the deep end. But it's not me staying buoyant, it's God lifting me that keeps my head above the water. It worked for David it can and it does work for us. So we have seen an example of prayer from someone who frequently communed with God in prayer. So let's start to take a closer look at prayer itself. Prayer is not just about receiving something from God. It's about receiving something for you to share with others for the glory of God. Colin defines prayer as God's chosen way of communication and fellowship between the Christian and himself. It is the secret of spiritual growth and effective service. <coughs> Matt Slick, founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, says, Prayer is a privilege and an obligation of the Christian where we communicate with God. It is how we convey our confession, requests, intercessions, thanksgiving, etc. to our holy God. We are commanded to pray. Some personal requirements of prayer are a pure heart, belief in Christ, and that the prayer be according to God's will. We can pray standing, kneeling, sitting, bowing, and with lifted hands. I'm going to go through more detail on some of those points later on. Like many before me, I just thought prayer was what I needed to do to receive something from God, be it answers, direction, to fulfill a need or desire. But that was selfish thinking on my part, and it narrowed how powerful our prayers can and should be. Prayer for some of us is about asking God to meet our needs, so our provision, 
give us more faith so we mature and grow strengthen us encourage us protect us so empower us forgive us for sins committed or say sorry for others forgiveness receive more of god's wisdom insight direction either via fasting or some other form impart in us god's power for a particular purpose like healing leading or sending out people on a particular task and preparing our hearts before a holy god David asked that God search his heart for anything that was not good. There is empowerment from God to us when we are talking to him in prayer. But there's also a confidence and an assurance received by us in the answering of prayer. And through that we can experience greater faith in God. Or God may speak to us in visions or prophecy. We will see changed lives and hearts for God. Greater love in the church and beyond e.g. our homes and our workplace, more glory is then given to God and greater perseverance in our trials. And God proves he is who he says he is in many more wonderful and gracious ways in any circumstance. An example of this is shown through Peter as he heals the lame beggar in Acts 3, where Peter and John are on their way to the temple for prayer. Just as they are about to enter, a lame beggar is brought to the temple entrance and he asks them for alms or charity, you know, money or anything that they could give. Both apostles fixed their gaze on him and Peter asked the beggar to fix his attention on them. So that bit, I didn't really, I didn't catch that. I've read that verse many times, but it distinctly says the beggar wanted to get their attention, but they made sure that his attention was on them. Right, so we'll follow on. Let's pick up from verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So Peter tells the beggar he has no money, but what he does have, he will willingly share with him. And what did Peter have to share? God's love, his power, and his grace to heal this man and bring others to faith in Christ Jesus. So it wasn't just about the man receiving a healing. It's about the testimony of the man and for others to start to believe. I believe Peter had been praying beforehand in preparation to go into the temple and was probably with John praying to God as he healed the beggar before their very eyes. The impact of our prayers are not dependent on the length of them or the number who pray for a situation. I believe it's the faith expressed within the prayer that pleases God. And so we must be persistent in our prayer. God rewards your persistence as you continually seek his will in situations. Not all healing is physical. How many believe salvation is a form of healing? Yep, I do. Some healings are instant and some may take years, but both normally have some sort of prayer involved with them. In the beggar's case, he received both physical healing and salvation. Mark 11, from 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you start praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus was impressed at the faith and humility of the Roman centurion, asking for his servant to be healed. The centurion could have commanded Jesus to come to his home, but instead he pleads with Jesus to show compassion to his servant. Matthew 8. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many more will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, 
Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now there's a lot that's not been said there. But if you look at it in the context of the time, Jesus was talking to a Gentile. And Jesus had already told his, was going to tell his disciples, I need you 12 to go out, but only to the Jews, to the promised people. So Jesus is going contrary to what he's telling the disciples at this point in time. Because basically, he's talking to someone that shouldn't be getting salvation. But he's seen the faith in the centurion. And he hasn't met the servant, but knowing Jesus, Jesus has got the servant in his mind. And before this, it says that Jesus was willing. The centurion asked him, and straight away, Jesus didn't ask him, he just says, I'm coming with you then. But the Roman centurion can see Jesus is needed where he is. There's more people to be healed, but he has faith. All Jesus has to do is say a word, and it is so. And that's what happens when we're praying in the church. I'm not believing that my prayer here, my little prayer here is healing Kevin or healing whoever. I'm believing that it's the power of God and God is everywhere. I don't have to be right there in that instant or right there in that situation, but God is right there in that situation. So we've explored some examples of prayer and seen prayer work on many levels. So let's look at some questions asked about prayer. Now this is going to be like a question, a Q&A. So I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to give a response to it. Who do we pray to? Initially, most of us might have begun our prayer life speaking to God the Father. And then with more understanding, recognize Jesus, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our prayers. Jesus instructs us to ask the Father in his name when we pray. For me, all the Trinity are God. So we should acknowledge all three in our prayers when we are comfortable or confident enough to know all three. So let me stress that. Getting your head around the Trinity itself is hard enough. Praying to three people is even more difficult. So if you're comfortable just talking to God, be it God the Father or God the Son, continue. I'm not asking you to change how you pray. I'm just saying be aware when you pray it does have an impact on how you pray. You don't realize it, and I'm not listening to myself when I'm praying, but my, my direction, what I say, changes according to who I'm approaching. So I'm saying to God the Father, I'm expecting to receive something. When I'm talking to Jesus, it's normally about strength. Jesus, give me the strength. Jesus, help me through this situation. Jesus, protect me. But then sometimes I just go, and Father, protect me. It interchanges. But when I need to do something for a task, I'm talking Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me, please. Before I preach, I ask for the Holy Spirit. While I'm preaching, while I'm writing it, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit. Not that God and Jesus aren't involved, but I know it's, the Spirit was sent to earth to inhabit in me. I should address him. Yeah? Okay. As I said, don't get tied up about who you're praying to. As long as it's going to God, that's all that matters. Who prays for us and what is the process of prayer? Jesus intercedes for us in every moment for all our needs and challenges. The Holy Spirit helps us lift up prayers to Jesus or God the Father, be it in our own words or in tongues. God the Father hears our prayers and responds to them according to his great purpose and mighty will. Our prayers and their outcomes all work towards the glory of God and the lifting up of his great name. We also have our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ interceding for us while we are here on earth, led by the Holy Spirit. So when do we or should we pray? For me, God is always talking to us. But we don't always listen and we don't always respond. He is an eternal God who never sleeps or goes on holiday. More importantly, he wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives all the time. So, before this, uh, before this moment where I'm, I'm here before you preaching, uh, David sort of winding the clock back a bit. He asked me to bring this message last Thursday. And I'm a person that likes to be prepared. So, it's not that David's dropped me in it. But, no, I'm not serious. He hasn't dropped me in it. 
he asked me, and at that time I said, well, David, I don't really have a message. Uh, you, know, you know, and I'm busy at work, and you know, there's lots of things happening in the calendar, and you know, you're, you're making all the excuses. That, and what David says to me, pray about it two days, and then give me a response. So I said, okay. That was the Thursday. Then the Friday, I thought, well, okay. Let me just start to put something together. So I just looked on the computer and I thought, okay, maybe that would fit, that would fit. I wasn't happy. Saturday morning, God just gives me a message. I start writing it down and scribbling, blah, 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 blah. And David calls me about 11 in the morning. Not, nothing, didn't ask me about the preach, just give me a general update. And I says, oh, you know, you know, David, you asked me to preach this Sunday. He says, yeah. I says, well, I've got a message now. And all he did, he, he laughed and says, oh, you're listening now. <laughs> He'd been listening to God. God had told him. The message had not received me yet. I got the message this Saturday, and I'm here now. You've got to be listening, church. You've got to be listening Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will, is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So in effect, we should be praying or talking to God all the time. We live in a fallen and sinful world, and we ourselves are a mixture at the best of times. The only way to ensure we have the strength and wisdom to stay on track for Jesus is to constantly be connected in prayer with him. Prayer imparts power, God's power and authority to his church. Acts 8 from verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Jesus calls the twelve disciples, he prays for them before he sends them out to impart his power and authority within them. Matthew 10, from verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Again, that's Jesus' words. They were the same words that Peter gave to the beggar. Freely you have received. He received, freely I give. What position or stance should I take to pray? Sorry, I don't know how to word that any better, but when I'm talking about position or stance, basically I'm saying what pose <laughs> should you take in prayer? Right, so here it are what the Bible says. Believers have been seen on their knees, bowing on their faces before God. When I mean faces, I mean literally lying down with their face on the floor. Standing, sitting, and with lifted hands. That's what the Bible says. Now, I know you guys are praying wherever you are. Be it in the car, in the office, when you're having a shower, etc., etc. Also, you can pray with your eyes open. You don't have to pray with your eyes shut. We as street pastors had to learn that earlier clock. You, you can't be in Harlow and pray with your eyes shut. No. No, no. So you can pray with your eyes open. You can pray quietly or out loud. Do what is most comfortable for you, for you and brings the least distractions.
Should I pray alone or with others? It is beneficial for you to do both. There are times when you need to commune with God one-to-one to receive insight or a revelation. There will also be times that you need the support and faith of your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray you through a situation. And there will be times that you just lift your voice in corporate prayer for someone's need and for God's hand to move. In all things, go as the Spirit leads you. Does God hear every prayer? I believe God hears every prayer lifted to him. We'll have to pray for this in a minute. And he answers every prayer, be it by responding to the prayer or not responding to the prayer. Sometimes we think, God hasn't heard my prayer, nothing's happened. <laughs> okay, that's your answer. It's not for you, or it's not for you now. But God's answered. Moses prayed to free his people but he prayed many more times that God would not wipe them from existence. Samson prayed for strength to smite the Philistines, but this led to his death. Hannah prayed for Samuel, but then had to give him back to the Lord. Samuel prayed for Saul. That didn't go well, but then he prayed for a new king. David prayed that God keep him, but more importantly, that God's presence would never leave him. Do prayers have to be spoken out loud? No. God hears all our thoughts, both intentional and unintentional. So don't think there's a part of your brain that's hidden from God. It doesn't happen. He sees it all. But I personally believe it's beneficial for us, both individually and corporately, to pray out loud as it's a form of faith. Also, the atmosphere around us is impacted and the presence of God is cultivated, encouraged, and felt, which would not have been encouraged in silent prayer. Hearing others pray sometimes builds us up and encourages us to lift something up to God in prayer also. What did Jesus do in regard to prayer? I believe he constantly spoke with God. For guidance, strength, instruction, thanksgiving, praise, and glory to him. But at certain times, he took time away from people and the world to do this. We need to follow his example and give time to corporate and individual prayer. Prayer takes time and should not be rushed. And why would you be in a rush to leave the presence of the Lord? It's the best place to be. Moses loved being in his presence. Deuteronomy 9. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. So this is Moses praying for the people. Now, Moses had a hard leadership, I would say. I mean, he, when you're doing leadership, church leadership 101, I think Moses is at the beginning of the chapter because these people gave him such a hard time. Such a hard time. To believe that God was, was with them at the beginning before he brought the ten plagues. Then delivering them out of Egypt was an issue. Getting them over the, the Red Sea, getting them into the, the, the promised lands. All of it, he kicked, he, he brought them dragging and screaming. Literally. So he was always constantly praying for these people. Moses prayed for the people 40 days and 40 nights on more than one occasion that they might be spared. God not only spared them, but he blessed them through Moses' prayers. Moses wasn't the high priest appointed by God. Aaron was. But it's the heart and faith of Moses for the people which pleased God and saved the nation. Moses did not always get on with his people. In fact, they got on his last nerve. But when the chips were down, he would intercede for them despite how they had treated him. He loved his people despite their behaviours towards him. We must be the same to pray freely. Church with greater faith and hearts made bigger by God, we can save a town, even a nation. Are we up for the challenge? Will we stand in the gap for those who can't help themselves, like the lame man Peter healed?
What are the benefits of prayer? Prayer develops in you a heart and desire for more of God. And around you and through you, it is a natural and important part of our relationship with God. And God loves to hear from us. Prayer is infectious and is great when we encourage one another in prayer. It produces declarations of faith from us and builds up our faith. Each time God brings us to a point of prayer where we really have to dig deep and seek his faith diligently, it produces testimonies of faith for ourselves and the church. Declaring prayers is just as important as confirming and giving thanks for answered prayers. Prayers show we are putting our faith in God. Seeking his will or power in a situation. There is joy in praying as we press into the presence of God and he draws closer to us. Prayer helps you develop and build your relationship with God. As he answers your prayers, your faith grows and deepens as does your relationship with him. We can and should be honest in our prayers. God wants us to be free to express all our emotions to him and we should be willing to listen to our responses, to his responses to our rantings. We pray to receive inspiration from the Holy Spirit. We go to God for forgiveness. to correct our wrong thinking, to help us in our battles, in our minds, to say sorry for what we have done wrong. And prayer can help us overcome our fears and bring comfort in hopeless situations and desperate times. So how can we pray effectively and without hindrance? Ensure you pray with wholehearted faith. Faith is key. And then ensure you're right before God and his people. Be obedient and follow all his ways. And love the Lord and his people. Keep prayers in accordance with his divine will. And ask the Holy Spirit to give you the words. If you're following those principles, I think you'd be okay in prayer. How do we pray to God? God is limitless. So why do we think it proper to limit how we pray to him? God has given us trustworthy guidelines in how we should pray. We should acknowledge who he is and what he's done for us. Acknowledge our sins and pray for our forgiveness and the forgiveness of others. Acknowledge his kingdom and authority over all creation and us. Ask for his provision of his strength, wisdom, direction and instruction and acknowledge his power to save our souls from our sins and eternal damnation. I've based these principles on my interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm sure there's always more we can lift up in prayer to God, to glorify his name, to rejoice in his love, grace and mercy that he shows us, our loved ones, and this fallen world each and every day. We also need to share our burdens in prayer. With brothers and sisters, we trust in certain circumstances, so we don't battle with our burdens alone. Church, I would encourage you to do more of that. Sometimes I think our hardest battles and our hardest lessons are learned because we didn't share in the church context. We thought we had to do it all by ourselves, or we didn't know who to come to. But unless you share, how will you know who to come to? Unless you trust someone, how you know that someone's got your back. I know we have Jesus and I praise God that he intercedes for me daily. But you need other people to have your back as well. I have Carol and David, Kevin and Helen, Jack and Tam. Ladies I know pray for me, my group prays for me and I feel covered. But some of you guys, who have you got praying for you? Have you got a brother and sister who you can come to and say, listen, call on the phone any time of the night, any time of the day, and say, I need prayer. 
I need prayer. It's not just down to the pastor. It's not just down to the elders. Some people have connection with you a lot stronger than we do. I may only see you on a Sunday. But if you're connected with somebody and you trust, and you know, I'm not saying to you, run to the first Christian you see and say, and, and, and burden them with whatever you're saying. That's not what I'm saying. The same way we have to build a relationship with God, you have to build a relationship with others. But it's for your growth and it's for their growth. It's not for us just to keep to ourselves. Be specific in your prayers and give God room to answer your prayer. In some cases, you may need to get out of the way for the prayer to be answered. Now you think I'm joking on that one. Sometimes you have to get out of the way. You pray for a situation to God, then don't go tinkering in it. That's the worst thing you can do. If you put something in God's hands, leave it in God's hands. Do not go and try tinkering. It's the worst thing you can do. I'm telling you, from, serious, from personal experience and seeing other people's experiences, if you give it to God, trust God. If you're not trusting, that's not faith. And it won't happen. Leave it in his hands. I'm not saying do nothing. I'm not saying I've prayed to God. I'll just sit back now, have a cup of coffee, put East Enders on, wait for the answer. That's not waiting in faith. No. What you're doing is you give it to God and you keep trusting Him. So I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep reading my Bible. I'm going to keep listening. And if other people come up to me and have a word, I'm going to take it on board if it's relevant. But I don't do nothing. But I don't take it out of God's hands. It's also beneficial to confirm when one another, with one another, when God has answered prayer. This is especially important if you have prayer warriors praying for your situation. Our prayers need to have passion. Sometimes as God is looking for passion in his people. Our prayers reflect our faith and dependency in God. I'll say our prayers need passion because the Bible says so. Nehemiah prayed with passion. Now, Nehemiah was a person that had not seen the glory of the, the Israelite days. He'd been born in captivity, but God laid something on his heart and he prayed with passion, Lord, can't we restore Jerusalem? Can't we do it? And in a matter of weeks and months, they've rebuilt the wall and the nation started to trickle back in. That's, he had to have passion to do that. He didn't just say to God, you know, as a, a throwaway comment, be nice to see Jerusalem back the way it was, Lord, and left it. He was, he was passionate about that prayer. We should always approach God reverently in prayer. I think this is important. We are able to be in his presence through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. But as God is a holy, righteous, pure God, we should acknowledge we are still mixture at this time. And we should ask God to search our hearts for anything that displeases him or hinders our walk with him. David, with many psalmists and prophets, and later many Puritans, prayed this frequently. And this reminds us to approach the throne of glory humbly. Yes, Jesus is our friend and our brother, but he's also our high priest, our Lord and our master. We must remember and show the appropriate respect when we approach him. Prayer can and should be scripture-based. It is good to quote the living word in prayer. You can argue or negotiate with God in prayer, but I wouldn't advise it or recommend it. A verse I use constantly in my prayers is the assurance God gave to both Moses and Joshua before they took on their responsibilities. Joshua 1.5 no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now a lot of these scriptures I'm going to say, Maxine's already said. So I know God is in, I'm in line with God. But the verses I used to keep, but the verses I used to keep me grounded, and that's a lot, and to finish any argument I have with God, are the words of Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke twenty two forty two, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. That's the end of the argument. Once I say that, that's it. I'm not going to argue anymore. C.S. Lewis quotes, For most of us, the prayer in Gethsemane is the only model removing mountains can wait. Let that sink in. Might give me time to get to that now. C.S. Lewis, wise words, is saying, when all else fails and we don't have the words for our situation, remember Jesus' words at Gethsemane. Jesus asked God to remove the cup of God's wrath from him three times in the garden. But in all three times, he confirmed not his will be done, but God's will be done. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced a grisly death but preferred death than go against God's will. Abraham was prepared to sacrifice the son God blessed him with, rather than disobey God's will. If you want his presence and faith to grow in your times of trouble, put his will before yours in prayer and trust him completely. Why should we turn to God in prayer? The Lord instructs us to pray. Now normally, I guess a lot of us will say we turn to God when we're desperate or in desperation. I did try this out. I asked this question to some people. I said, why should you turn to God in prayer? And the response was desperate. The world's the same. Don't, don't even acknowledge God. But the minute the airplane engine goes, the car's in trouble, they're all praying to God. Oh Lord, help me. Help me now. Help me now. No, no, it don't happen. And for us, that, I think it's that mentality some Christians have as well. There's more to prayer. There's things that we should turn to God in prayer with are about adoration and thanksgiving and seeking his wisdom, seeking his direction, his impartation of the Holy Spirit, praying for his presence and his influence in a situation for us or for someone else. And in prayer, we should just talk to God, but always be asking for his grace, his mercy, his kindness and wisdom, his strength and his compassion. I guess what we should be doing in prayer is asking for more of Jesus. Because if we're asking for that, we can't go wrong. Ephesians 6, 18 to 20. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So my final point is, why do we need prayer? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of church as we know it begun with prayer and continues with prayer. We effectively pray at every meeting, not just Sunday services. We are praying at every meeting, aren't we, church? Yes. Okay, just checking. God uses our lives and prayers to establish his will and purposes on earth. In return, we have the privilege of entering his throne room into his presence when we press closer to him through prayer. Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. So there are many people in the Bible where prayers were central to their lives. Now this one might be a funny one. You might say, I'm going to bring up Job as the first one. Job prayed. Job prayed hard and he had people giving him a hard time at the same time. But he, his life was, was dedicated to prayer. If you read the beginning of Job, it says he used to pray for his kids. He used to get up early, pray for his kids, his family, all of that. That man prayed. Don't underestimate Job. Moses, we've already spoke about. Then there are the great prophets, Elijah and Elisha. These guys wouldn't move unless they prayed first good men of God, always listening, 
and always following what God told them. Nehemiah we've already spoken about, David we've spoken about, and Paul. Look at all the letters of Paul. This man always greeting people and was saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Do we get it, church? We need to be praying. These are the characters, and there's many more. I've only picked a selection, but they're all praying. But the most important person of all who prayed is Jesus Christ. And he's given us the tools to do it. Prayer was central in Jesus' life. He taught his disciples to pray and stressed the importance of being persistent in prayer all the time. Prayer was the backbone of the early church, allowing it to progress through many difficult times in history. And prayer remains the most effective tool in the Christian believer's arsenal to bring change in any landscape for God's purposes. Prayer helps the believer commune with God, building relationships with him, growing God, prepare for service for God, praise God, experience God, but at the end of the day, it puts God at the centre of it all. I experience great joy when I see my prayers have brought a change in myself, but I receive greater joy in seeing my prayers answered for changing others around me and in their situations. God wants us to be involved with his changes to his children, other people and the world around us. And prayer is a powerful way to bring those changes to pass. So I pray Lighthouse, we strive to be a praying church, motivated to fulfill the will and purpose of God for his glory and for his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Sorry, that was a bit hard going towards the end and I'm going to... Technical issues, always technical issues. So, uh, Sharon, if you wouldn't mind putting me to the last slide because the clicker's not working. It should be a um, a prayer for C.S. Lewis. Is it not working your side either? All right. I will keep. I will strive to carry on. Oh, that's working. Where's the one? All right. Right. So, we're going to communion now. If have we got the six people to prepare for the communion? We'll just finish the preaching prayer and then we'll lead straight to communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this thing that I do every Sunday, or what we do every Sunday, where we just lift up our voice to you, that's key. That's key to knowing you. It's key to experiencing you. It's key to living a life empowered by your Holy Spirit. Father, I just pray that as we've gone through just an, an inkling of prayer today, that people would take something from it, that they would begin to build a relationship with you through prayer. Yes, Lord, I know we can commune with you through the word. And yes, Lord, I know we can commune with you through worship. And we can commune with you through fellowship. But I believe the most intimate connection we can have with you is through prayer. And I want, Lord, the church to have intimate relationship with you. Why? Because in it they can grow. In it they can feel your presence. In it they can see answer to prayer. And Lord, it's not because we want to see signs and miracles. But Lord, it's because we want to see a strong church. A bride that will be beautiful when you come back for it, Lord. So I keep, I will continue to pray that we are striving to be a praying church, Father. A church that we don't wait for the disasters. We don't wait for things to go wrong. But we're continually communing with you, listening to you, and following your leadings. So Lord, we commit this service to you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we'll lead straight into communion. C.S. Lewis, this man was a very... God really used this man powerfully, but for me, what really encourages me is he breaks down really complex theology and makes it make sense in human terms. And this is C.S. Lewis's prayer. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time. Waking and sleeping, 
It does not change God, it changes me. That, that's big words there. I mean, you can hear it in that the utter dependence he has on God, but that he's got a loving relationship with him. God doesn't make him pray, he wants to pray. And for me, I think prayers like the, the pauper of the giftings, we're all always wanting to be the big worship team leader or being the preacher. But just being a prayer is just as powerful a ministry as me standing here talking to you or Maxine bringing a, a worship session to you. Prayer, you can see results. Prayer always has a result. Yes, again, I can preach a word and you can go out and you're feeling good about yourself. Fine. But will it hold you to the next Sunday? It won't. Will a good worship song hold you to the next Sunday? No. But you cry to God and he answers you, that will hold you to next Sunday. Pray. Pray with passion, pray with faith and pray that he does what he's going to do. We've got lots of situations, church. We prayed about them earlier today. I specifically wanted to pray after we did that worship session because God's presence was here. He wants, He is with you, but he wants to be with you more. Open the door for him. Pray. Amen? Amen. That's, good. That's what I would ask you to focus on when you're doing your communion as you take the bread and the cup. Jesus died for us. His blood was shed for us to open a door to the throne room of God where we can now pray with no fear of being consumed by his fire, consumed by his righteousness, consumed by his holiness. We are made holy by him and him alone. So use your privilege to enter into the throne room wisely, people. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and we praise we give it over to you in communion that you speak to people's hearts in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen.